beloveds, welcome back to this special Christmas episode of The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories, especially our Christmas stories, have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? The song you hear is a live recording of a group called No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions in other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We're deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. This podcast is designed to be a resource for white people who are realizing that following Jesus in this time and in this country means listening to, learning from, and joining in with the struggle against racism and white supremacy. We welcome your feedback and especially appreciate feedback from and accountability to listeners of color. So again, welcome. This is Anne Dunlap living in the land of Cheyenne and Arapaho peoples, which settlers called Denver, Colorado. And Nicola Torbett living on Ohlone land near the former village of Huchin, which is now known as Oakland, California. And this is Will Green living in the land of the Penacook people, which settlers call Andover, Massachusetts. So we've gathered some of our podcast crew together again today to talk about Christmas. And we're just going to jump right in. So shall we, shall we get started? Yep. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, we've got a set of questions here that we're going to work through um, that we've been reflecting on. And we're going to start off with what is radical about this story anyway? Who wants to start us off? I'm happy to start. Um, My thinking about Christmas was revolutionized um, by Reverend Lenise Pinkard, who was my first pastor as an adult. And I remember her saying that Christmas is about the downward mobility of God. And that just kind of blew my mind um, for all that it says about what it means for us then to follow you know, and to be in relationship with God. Um, you know, some say that God has a preferential option for the poor. I don't even think it's that. I think that's that, that God just is poor. Um, God is in the margins because that's where God gets pushed in a profit-driven society. Um, so that's, that's one of the first things that came to mind when I, when I contemplated that question, the downward mobility of God. It's wow. amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that, that, if I can share a, a little bit on that, that really resonates uh, for me uh, with, with my faith and uh, connection to what's radical about Christmas. Uh, but it's also, although it, it resonates with me, it, it's also very uh, troubling and shocking and challenging to hear that. And uh, mm. that's what's radical about Christmas. It's troubling, <laughs> shocking, and, uh, and, and challenging. Uh, one, of the, one of the things uh, that I want to share about what's radical about Christmas is that uh, 
I think in my Christian practice, uh, Christmas is a time that helps me shift from uh, the hypothetical or the theoretical to the real and to the practical. Um, and what I'm thinking is uh, instead of reflecting on, uh, you know, if, Jesus, if God were with us today, if Jesus were among us, Christmas uh, takes away that, uh, that if and it helps me to uh, be grounded in God is among us, Jesus is around us. Uh, God is real in our lives. Mm. Uh, and of course, as has already been said, the focus is, uh, is not on the high and mighty, um, but is on uh, those who are driven to the margins in uh, the world the way it is. Because that's not where God would be, but where God is and where Jesus is. Yeah, I uh, just, I love both of what you all are saying and, and it ties so beautifully with what I've been um, reflecting on and my own journey in the last few years of um, reminding myself that it matters that Jesus was born poor and brown and colonized and um, oppressed just in, in like general kinds of ideas about oppression, but, but that the particularity of his existence wasn't an accident and that it matters um, uh, that, that he was born with these particular identities that are not about having imperial power, um, but are about being on the margins of the margins, um, really, uh, if we think about um, the power of imperial Rome and uh, how, how he was born, the kind of um, life that he was born into. Um, and so then what does that mean? The downward mobility, the, 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 the particularity of his life, um, what does that mean for us um, who were not born in those contexts uh, mm-hmm. to say that we follow him, to mm-hmm. say that we love him? Um, mm-hmm. And that we, you know, sing like choirs of angels to him. Like, what, is, what does that actually mean? What does that mean um, uh, in terms of how we're living out that commitment that we claim to him? Um, uh, so, I, yeah, I love that idea of like the downward mobility. It's completely um, opposite of how the world functioned then and how the world functions today with, you know, we're supposed to always be bettering and rising up the, the corporate ladders and the profit with an F um, (laughs) uh, being so important. And that just the fact of his birth, the facts of of his birth are the, are the upending um, of all of that. Um, and I think for me, that's, that's part of what makes it radical is that uh, this um, person uh, that we claim to love um, and follow uh, was born in this very particular kind of way um, on purpose. Uh, and what are we meant to learn from that? This uh, downward mobility of God also uh, 
calls to mind for me and challenges one of the classic Christian, uh, inter, uh, one of the classic Christian uh, doctrines of uh, incarnation, um, which is at the heart of, uh, of Christmas, of course. And uh, the, the, the language that I, the, the sexist language that I learned around uh, this uh, doctrine of incarnation is that God became man so that man may become God, you know, can become so that, that Jesus yeah. arrival on earth um, changes humanity in some ways that uh, so that people can rise up or climb the ladder or ascend, uh, you know, um, and I don't, frankly, I don't know enough or care enough about classic interpretations of Christian uh, doctrine to, to get into that. So I'm, I'm happy saying that this could be simply a, a, a challenge and a confrontation of that uh, classic doctrine of, of saying, no, we, we are not becoming like gods because of Christmas. Um, but uh, uh, because of Christmas, we are all the more invested in the reality of humanity. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if there's a contradiction there or not, or, um, but I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Because what it does is it, it means that, that we do become sacred in Mm -hmm. that process. And the, the poorest person in the world becomes sacred Mm -hmm. and holy and precious. And, there's something just really world rocking mm-hmm. about that in a society that is so invested in meritocracy mm-hmm. and this belief that, you know, that holiness is found in uh, success in um, attractiveness in, um, you know, all of these ways that we have of evaluating people to say no, actually, the sacredness is way down in the in the feeding trough, <laughs> you yeah. know, in a barn somewhere in an mm. unrecognized part of the world. It, it's just, it's really, really radical. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of uh, Mary, the Annunciation, Mary's conversation with the angel, uh, where uh, Mary paraphrase says something like why me or what does this have to do with me uh you know this uh i don't and and uh, i'm thinking of uh mary being in this conversation with us about what is radical about christmas and that that first you know her her response uh you know suggests (laughs) something (laughs) radical is happening to her uh and uh to uh the, the categories and assumptions and prejudices of the world. Yeah, why me? This doesn't make sense. This isn't how I'm, I'm reading that into it, uh, yeah. but uh, you know, just picturing that sort of response of um, questioning and realizing what's being questioned also. Mm. Well, let's talk some about Mary. Cause that's, that's one of the things we, we wanted to talk about today as well. Um, the uh, uh, lectionary for the fourth Sunday of Advent, which will, um, we're recording this just the day after the second Sunday. So lots of Adventy type thoughts perhaps, but it'll, when y'all are listening to it, it'll be very close to Christmas Eve. 
And the readings for um, the fourth Sunday, which is also Christmas Eve this year, um, includes that story of Mary and the angel um, and then the Magnificat. Um, so we wanted to talk about Mary's role in all of this. And I love the idea that, um, Will, of what you're saying, that just even her questioning of this divine messenger uh, is in itself kind of a radical thing of like, what, what are you asking me to do? Like, how can this even, how can this even be? Um, Which is at least how the NRSV has her question. Like, how can this be? Um, And yeah, I just, I imagine her, I love Mary. And I think she, she, in some ways, especially in the Protestant church, gets really ignored in her role um, in all of this, especially in this, um, the Christmas season, um, you know, uh, but her, um, you know, I wonder what she thought, you know, so if Jesus was born poor and brown and colonized and et cetera, like she was born all of those things and also, you know, a woman in this system and for her to be chosen as, I wonder if that's part of like her, how can this be? Like I have like zero power to do anything in this, in this world. Um, and yet uh, you're choosing me like what, how, how can this be? Um, and there's something really, powerful in that yeah it's a kind of an anti-hero theme uh, <laughs> unlikely un- unlikely uh uh hero uh, it, uh, uh my last uh podcast that i recorded for the word is resistance was about deborah from the book of mm-hmm. judges and uh i just want to throw it out there and uh we can edit this out but <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh if uh if if people love reading uh, stories from um, uh, the the Hebrew scriptures from the Old Testament, um, one of the the many stories that m- the Mary's uh, seems to be Mary's uh, interaction with the angel seems to be riffing on is the story of Gideon um, from uh, Judges uh, chapter six. And uh, it, let me just paraphrase it. The angel comes to Gideon and says, Oh, mighty warrior, you will lead the people. And, the, and Gideon says, First of all, if I'm a mighty warrior, uh, then, you know, why am I in the current situation I'm in? Uh, secondly, <laughs> you're such a great God. How come, and you're an angel, why are we getting stomps and, and such? And it just goes, Angel says, Well, no, really, it's you. You're going to do wonderful things. And Gideon just relentlessly says, You know, I'm not trying to be rude here, but you have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> and it, it goes on and on, and uh, it's, I love it. Um, you know, Mary is uh, subtler than that, or maybe different than that, but um, j- just some of that, uh, you know, uh, radical <laughs> uh, nature mm-hmm. of the the unlikeliness, to say the least, of um, of Mary in this. And I love, too, that she moves from, wait, what, <laughs> to this real conviction That's right. that God is going to do something with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. um, I'm just looking at it now. You know, he has scattered the proud in the conceit of their heart. Mm-hmm. He has pulled down the mighty from their thrones and has mm-hmm. exalted the lowly. 
He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Um, it's making me think about how um, that star in the nativity story that we read every Christmas Eve, you know, would have been a signal that a new king had been born. Um, there was all this belief around, you know, the, the, the advent of a new ruler was signified in the heavens. So the writers of the gospels are playing with that, that, um, or at least the, the writer of Luke is playing with that. But what kind of king is this? You know, that he's born in the, as you said, and in the margin of the margins. And how does that utterly transform what it means to be a king? Um, so that all the other kings that think they're kings are shown to be illegitimate. Um, something really exciting in that for me. I love what you said also about how Mary moves uh, so quickly, it seems to me, but what do I know, uh, to <laughs> unbelievably powerful faith. Uh, <laughs> you know, unlike uh, Gideon who, or, or whoever, me, I don't know, who loves to say, well, it doesn't really technically make actual sense and it's not going to happen, but I appreciate the rhetoric. Whereas <laughs> Mary somehow in this story is there with this, you know, this shocking uh, proclamation of the Magnificat uh, and the way you were describing it, I almost, uh, there, there's some part of me, and it's probably says more about me than Mary or anything that says, okay, well, geesh, Mary, calm down. You know, maybe you're exaggerating now, you're taking this so far, but there, there's just no limits to where, to the impact of this, of the announcement and, and of this, mm -hmm. it's, 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 trans, it's just transformative, radical in an incredible way. And I think that question of, of power is um, is so important with her story because, you know, systemically she, she has none, and yet she is the one yeah. um, who's found favor with God. That's, you know, what the angel says to her kind of in the beginning of that Annunciation story. Um, you found favor with God. Like, God sees you and who you are. Um, and so what does that then tell us about the again like that that downward mobility like the the one who's going to bear this um uh incredible child is incredible in and of herself and we know nothing about her prior to this moment you know um uh -huh. and and yet she's the one who's found favor um with nice. god to do this important piece of work and she um whatever happens in that interaction that, that then leads her to sing this, this song, this Magnificat, like she knows this yeah. is what this means. Um, this isn't just a nice thing that's going to happen. And, and uh, you know, um, that won't shake anything up. Like this is the upending of the structures that are around me, at least how Luke tells the story, like these structures that are, that are dehumanizing us, these structures, the, the thrones and the, and the wealth, um, and the, the pride, uh, that, um, are part of the dynamics that, that keep her poor and oppressed and, mm -hmm. um, marginalized and colonized. Like those things are being upended. Like she, 
she knows. I think we often like credit Jesus for his radical revolutionariness as if it just sort of like was, you know, like he came up with that all on, on his own. Right. But I love imagining um, Mary actually like singing this to him. Yes. Over and over when he's a baby, when he's a child, when he's growing up and like giving her the credit for forming him into the, into the human that he would become. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah. And, and not taking that lightly uh, at all. Her, her role in this was not just like this vessel w- without any kind of consent, but a powerful yes um, to this piece of work and her own agency and knowledge and ability to form him uh, into who he became. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I love Mary um, uh, for, for that. Um, I don't know what happens to Joseph, but <laughs> uh, he doesn't get this kind of a song. <laughs> and I think that's important. Um, sort of going back to what you said earlier about the, the sexism of God becoming man, um, uh, the human that Jesus was um, couldn't have become without uh, uh, Mary. Yeah. Um, not just as a as a bearer, uh, uh, but also um, as somebody who could uh, form him. And and maybe that's also too what um, God saw in her, what the divine saw in her that caused her to have favor you know like she's she knows what she knows and will raise him um raise this child uh to be who he needs to be um uh yeah so this is magnificat as as the first christmas lullaby but it's not uh it's uh, it's the lullaby the song that's taught the wisdom that's shared when jesus is in the womb not when he's born and is it's not about keeping him down in the crib keeping him from crying but about getting him to to rise up if you will to use that mm-hmm. that language um and this rising up is of course to overthrow uh and to challenge and to change teaching him that song already yeah hmm. love it yeah, now, now comparing this, and I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to, to this again, but uh, comparing this to the, the silent night, all is well, all, or, you know, whatever. All, all, all is calm, all, all is calm, all is bright, yeah. yeah. Um, things, nothing is calm, and, and <laughs> things are not, uh, you know, things are, are bright because of you know, the, the, the revolution that's <laughs> happened. Yeah. Which yeah. doesn't mean there can't be peace, uh, you know, or that there can't be centeredness or there can't be calm in the midst of that, but um, quite a different approach to, uh, to singing to Jesus. <laughs> and that's making me think, Will, about, um, about her consent. I've been thinking a little bit about that this week in the yeah. wake of hashtag me too, mm-hmm. um, that what it would have taken for her as a young woman mm-hmm. whose life was on the line you know, if she really was going to become pregnant outside of marriage, she could be accused of adultery. She could be stoned to death, mm-hmm. you know, and yet she had some kind of centeredness, some sort of connection 
some sort of calm about her that she was able to say, yes, I'm going to go through with this thing, even though it may cost me my life. Mm -hmm. And I believe God is going to use it. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) You know, she's, she's like the the model disciple. Mary is the model disciple. Can somebody preach that sermon, please? (laughs) Every Sunday. Yeah. Every Sunday. Uh, I'm also, uh, something was said earlier about, um, it doesn't when when we read Luke, uh, we, we, nothing is really known about Mary before this moment. Uh, and it's making me think how, um, nothing is known by Mary before this moment by us, but God seems to know something about Mary already, which is taking me to this, this theme that we're developing here about, uh, where does God arrive, pay attention, where is God's compassion and heart and interest, um, as opposed to where is mine? You know, what what do I know, and where is my focus and attention, what do I spend my life on? And, mm. uh, of course, this uh, whole Christmas thing gets me thinking, well, I, I'm focused on a whole lot of crap, you know, not, nothing. <laughs> Mm. Uh, so often, uh, you know, something that's very little connection to the gospel and to uh, the, the good news. Um, yeah. So I, I'm I'm learning the question: uh, What are the things that I know, the people I know, the life that I know, the world that I know, versus what does God know? Mm. Surprise! It's more than me. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and also not only is it more but also different it's different you know different uh different categories different systems different ways of being and i'm i'm speaking specifically about will green i'm not saying yeah all of us as people so yeah yeah that's making me think i've been thinking a lot lately about whiteness <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, (laughs) As I know many of us have. (laughs) Yeah. And about how my attachments to the status quo, Mm -hmm. whether that is to the ability to buy lots of Christmas presents Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. you know, surround myself with lots of really rich food or, Mm -hmm. or just, um, you know, enjoy the the various benefits of whiteness. Right. To the degree that I am attached to those things, I am unable to experience God. That's right. The truth, the power of the spirit. And it cuts me off, you know, and I've been thinking about whiteness and its benefits almost as like compensation prizes. Mm. Like, Whiteness as the booby prize of the universe. (laughs) 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 And, you know, not that it isn't really important. Like you get to to be relatively certain that you can raise children and they'll stay alive. Mm -hmm. You know, these are serious benefits of whiteness, but at the cost of actual connection Mm -hmm. to what God is doing and um, at the cost of connection to all people. Mm-hmm. It separates us. I'm thinking about that and and tying it back a little to what Will was saying about um, God knowing something about Mary and and so 
where is God's attention and how whiteness really misaligns our attention. Yes. And yeah. so um, we're, our attention is on, you know, as you were saying, Nicola, like how many presents can I buy for whoever? Um, and the, the, uh, the, the dominance of what, Christmas has become in our in our culture um, in some ways um, feels even bigger and and more harder more harder um, harder uh, <laughs> more difficult more challenging to figure out how to dismantle than um, than Thanksgiving. When we did the Thanksgiving episode, we were like, "Here's all the ways that we're not going to do this anymore," right? Um, <laughs> Uh, and with Christmas, I feel like such a, yeah. like, what do we do? Like, I love my tree. Like what, <laughs> you know, having the tree and the ornaments from when I was five and, um, you know, going to see the lights and the things. And yet to what extent is that, um, a misalignment of attention to where and so so we end up you know as white folk missing um the announcement mm. you know um because we're not we're not where we would hear the announcement um yeah the announcement being you know the of jesus being born um That almost feels like a segue into our question about how whiteness gets reinforced. Yeah. The dominant narrative, since really what we need to do is figure out how to not be reinforcing whiteness, right? Right. In order to be in the place where we can hear the good news announced. Um, and we, we've been talking amongst ourselves a little bit um, and just to share with listeners about how if I'll just speak for myself. If I'm really honest, when I think about the nativity scene, I imagine white people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And I've been practicing for several years now trying not to, and it's still the first thing that comes mm -hmm. to my mind. We start singing Silent Night instantly. I'm imagining very light skin, blonde, Mary, whatever, you know. Um, mm hmm it's so deeply ingrained. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's the scene too, that is, is sort of bathed in soft light. <laughs> yeah. Very peaceful and warm and sentimental. And sometimes I, I like to challenge myself to think about what that stable would have been like in the time that was being described, you know, like probably full of other people who had no place to sleep. Mm. Who felt bad, you know. I never thought about that. <laughs> I never thought about that either. That's no place awesome. to watch. <laughs> oh my gosh. Or I had a bath. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's, if there's animals there, then there's manure. <laughs> yes. Yep. And barns are a little smelly, you know. I work at a farm, you know. 
every yeah. week. And they're just smelly. Even after you've just cleaned them out and put down fresh straw, they're just a little smelly. That's just what they are. Yeah. yeah. They are quickly... Um, <laughs> yeah. Animals do what they got to do. They don't care. So, you know, even if they had just cleaned it, they're still going to be manure. That's We'll just say that. Yeah. It does make yeah. me forget about the cat litter box. So thank you for... Yes. <laughs> and that straw is really scratchy, you know? It is. Comfortable. That stuff will cut you. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I like this, uh, just other people there, too. Um mm-hmm. As opposed to uh, you know this the our imi- our uh, the the holy family being the center of everything. Just even thinking of the the little manger scenes and the uh, displays on the altar or in the yeah. church in our homes. Uh, of course, the whole point of this is to make it the, the focal point, the center. Um, and what does it mean for there simply to be more people and different people? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's great. Um, mm. Why not? I think one of the idols for me of whiteness and Americanness and privilege of all sorts is personal space. Huh. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm really an introvert and I love my space and yes. a luxury that a lot of people do not have. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And back to what you were saying before about uh, all, all of the things that, that whiteness cuts us off and separates us from, it, it is a uh, isolation and solitude and, and space can be a, a, a privilege, but it can also, of course, be isolation and, and you know, separating and, and cutting ourselves off from, from others, from ourselves, from being a person. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about the ways in which uh, uh, individualism um, are part of, uh, is part of whiteness. And so how, how then does that solitary Holy family with maybe a few shepherds and and some wise people, um, at a polite distance, (laughs) a polite distance. Um, yeah. Our wise people haven't even shown up yet. They're on the other side of the room because they're still journeying. We do that. Um, you know, and, I had never have thought about that. The idea that there might, they're likely even, um, if there was no room in the end for them and all these people are descending on Bethlehem because they got to be taxed. <laughs> we won't even go into a whole rant on that, although maybe we will, I don't know. But um, <laughs> would there, the possibility that there were other people? And I want to imagine, like, maybe they helped. Like, what did they think that was going on? Like, maybe... Maybe they helped when the when the birthing time came. Like maybe there was this like collective like, you know, well shit, she's gonna give birth right now. What do we do? And so all the different people gathered around there, you know, bringing water and making sure she had food after, and somebody hanging out with Joseph so he's not bringing it out, or you know, keeping the the baby goats you know out of the middle of everything because that's where they always are. Um, like. It never, ever occurred to me that, well, first of all, that they, like, might need help, oh. and that there would be people around to actually help them. So this kind of, like, collective, at all. The collective <laughs> yeah. effort to get Jesus born, Yeah, you know? Um, 
I'm going to be, I'm going to keep thinking about that, that that, that feels really important that you, that you've raised that Nicola, not just as like a sort of a logistics, but like that they might not have been alone. Yeah. Also, we can take this into the area of uh, what is a family. Um, mm. uh, I, I don't know if anyone has seen online from very smart brothers on the root uh, the article title, Do White People Have Cousins? Uh, exploring mm. the idea of like, well, I ooh, haven't, yeah. You know, uh, the, 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 the whiteness, the, the white idol of the nuclear family, um, literally on the altar at Christmas. Mm. The nuclear heterosexual family. That's it. That's it. We have an ornament on our tree that reminds me is this brief, lovely little story um, that was made. Oh, it was years ago now when we lived in Portland, and um, it's it's a nativity is like made out of popsicle sticks, little kits. And um, my partner was um, teaching Sunday school that day, and that was their activity to build these little nativity popsicle stick ornaments. And um, a little girl made hers, and she showed it to my partner and um, Nancy said, but you have two Marys. (laughs) And then she realized that the little girl had two mommies. Mm -hmm. Oh. And so, um, and the the little girl was like, well, Jesus needs two mommies. So of course, um, you know, and how, but the, the idea that like we're idolizing on our altars and, and sacred spaces hearth spaces, if you will, what, what we have of them, this very nuclear, um, as far as we know, like cisgender, straight, heterosexual family, uh, Mm -hmm. as the, the, the family that's holy, um, Mm -hmm. how, how that also reinforces something about whiteness as well. Um, because those are very white ideas about, about family. Yeah. Mm Something I'd like to I, I like to return to and, and just throw out there at, at times is something I've been saying a little bit lately for a few years now and just want to share it, which is there are no white people in the Bible. Um, right. I, I don't. Are there? You know. Well, say or, that you'll have you'll people tell you you know. Well, what about the Galatians? You know that was or and uh, so you know what? Okay. <laughs> Obviously. I always say, though, that in Romans, Paul is writing to the white people of his time. There we go. So, well, I, the other one I like to say is Pontius Pilate. Okay, there's an example of yeah. uh, you know, a white person in the Bible, and we can, you know, and, we can set that as an archetype. Yeah. For white but obviously, person. whiteness did not exist as, as a it. way of being formed into the world. Um, so I think, I think that that is true, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, that's a good, challenging obvious um, uh, big uh, thing to kind of hit myself with, you know, before opening the Bible, the word of God, um, you know, so this is, there, there is no whiteness here. None. Uh, and then, you know, continuing to, to reflect yeah. on that. So. Both in terms of uh, there are no white people and there is no whiteness. Mm. The, the whiteness that has come has been inflicted upon the text. That's right. Um, in the last 500 years, when mm-hmm. whiteness um, developed as a, this sort of modern disastrous phenomenon, um, and 
which makes me want to um, like reiterate again what I said in the beginning for me, like the importance of the particularity of, of, of Jesus and Mary and Joseph too, you know, of, of who they were in their time. Um, they also weren't Roman, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Uh, they weren't Herod. Yeah. Um, they were poor. And I keep saying it, you know, I have, cause I have to say it to myself, like mm-hmm. poor and Brown and colonized and um, all of these things. Um, and that that matters. Um, it's not just, uh, Oh, we're just going to change out, you know, a, a white baby Jesus um, and put a Brown baby Jesus in the manger on our nativity set. Like it actually has to matter. Um, mm-hmm. It's not an accident that God chose to act in this way. Um, through these particular people in their particular lives uh, um, on the margins of the margins, as I said. Um, uh, Cause I think sometimes um, that we try just doing that as if it's just a matter of, well, you just, you just shift the colors around and that's, that's, you know, that takes care of it, but it's really about, it's really about power and who has it and who doesn't. Um, and, in the ways and wisdom of the world, Mary and Joseph and Jesus don't have it. And what God does in showing up in them uh, is to upend what we even think power is mm-hmm. and what it's for. Um, and we, we forget that and ignore it and uh, to our peril, like literally to our peril right now. Um, and, and what we're, what is happening uh, in our world right now. Um. I just suddenly got an idea as you were talking, Anna. I was like, what if we put a cutout of Colin Kaepernick in the nativity scene? <laughs> what does that do? You know? Because uh. it makes me smile. I'll tell you that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm immediately with it. Yeah, me too. It suddenly brings that whole power conversation in, right? Yeah. Mm. You know, or um, Michael Brown. Yes. Yeah. Or Tamir. Yes. You know, and I want to, I want to, I feel like I want to be really careful and not, you know, objectifying, um, people of color in a particular kind of way. And, and, and so I want to, I want to take care with that. I'm not entirely sure how to say this, but, but so we don't want to objectify either. And we want to remember that it matters. Like, I mean, that's the whole point of like the claim of black life, black lives matter. Um, In these systems in which we're born into it, it matters that Jesus was born in a particular, with a particular set of identities. Um, it matters because it's a, it's a theological claim that God is making um, through his life, through Mary's life, uh, about what power is actually meant to be um, and how the world is supposed to function. So as, as we sort of try to... Yeah. 
I disappeared there for a moment, but I'm back now. Um, so as we try, as we try to imagine, oh, Colin Kaepernick in the manger, like also, um, because it matters, like his life matters. The particularity of his life matters. Um, yeah. Or Ayanna Jones, thinking, you know, the, the young um, black girl who was killed, you know, to, they don't even have to be um, male identified, you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's the, the importance, I think, of remembering who is the margins of the margins now, and that's where God is going to show up. Yeah. And that's really hard, I think, for white people to hear, even progressive, well-meaning, justice-loving white people. Like, God's not going to show up in my white middle-class church? Ooh. Yeah. Does, not, does God not love us and care about us? Yeah. Mm. Is the good news not for us too? <laughs> As white people? Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Uh, who, you know, who is the good news for who? Mm. Uh, and uh, looking back to this, this frame we're using, this lens for the Magnificat about the, the systems of, of power and privilege and, uh, oh, worldly success, so to speak, being confronted and overthrown and changed, uh, you know, who's sitting on, you know, who's sitting on thrones, um, uh, you know, and uh, white people, you know, mm. and this, this makes me say, you know, whiteness is uh, in the Bible and God, <laughs> you know, and, and turn it over and uh, destroy it um, along with other systems of oppression uh, that, that destroy that destroy flourishing and that that harm people and harm creation. Yeah. And thinking of King Herod's outrage and anger and fear and saying, "Hey, there's your there's your white church," and, and at Christmas time, oh. you know, it's it's terrified and it's not going to stand for it. You know, mm. it's going to ask to speak to the manager, uh, and it's going to uh, you know prevent this story from from being told, doing whatever it can to kill it. Mm. Mm. Also, oh, if I may, on the on the, the the tokenizing and the the, the reducing uh, people of color to to figures to be manipulated in our our uh, our idealized uh, Christmas that we want to talk about uh, makes me also think that uh, um, that uh, we also do that to. Of course, it makes sense uh, that we also do that to God and to Jesus. Uh, it just, mm. just as we do that to those with whom God is aligned, um, you know, reducing Jesus, God, mm. the people of God, uh, to a, to a figurine for us to, mm. uh, to, to play with, uh, mm. and to pretend around and mm. how that's, there's a lot of, a lot of Christmas energy that just does that, you know, take Jesus out of the box and put Jesus back in the box. Hmm. <laughs> um. <laughs> <Ouch. laughs> Yeah, it's just making me think about how there is news for us ah. in white middle class churches, and we get to decide whether it's good. <laughs> because it is, if we de if we decide it is good news, it's going to force us to dramatically change our lives. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So the news is we are we are going to get free together, and there mm -hmm. is going to be a. Uh, overturning of everything 
um, the Magnificat uh, is is to be sung and to believed and to be enacted, um, and that that is good news for all of God's people. Um, but things aren't going to be the same. Yeah, I think it it we have to remember as as white folks, especially um, uh, those of us who uh, are middle and upper class. I don't know that any of us on this podcast are upper class, but we're mostly like working and middle class folks, but for mm-hmm. to say, you know, middle class, which is how I kind of identify or at least was formed in that. Mm-hmm. You talked earlier, Nicola, about the, um, what did you call it? The compensation, <laughs> uh, the benefit, you know, the benefits of whiteness is like, uh, you know, the, the compensation prizes or something like that. And, um, that, And so, and so we're not, um, the ways in which, I guess I will say the ways in which whiteness harms us as humans are invisibilized mm-hmm. and the ways in which, um, some of the things we've talked about, the individualism where we feel like, you know, I've got to do all this on my own, the reinforcements around of heterosexism and, um, uh, the, uh, but our, but our own disconnect from how we even survive something like this. We were talking with, with um, some friends around the table just uh, a few nights ago um, in a in kind of an admit conversation um, about it being the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and how it's been the end of the world many, many, many times throughout the history of humanity. Um, and, uh, only in maybe the last 50 or so years is the end of the world felt like we could actually destroy the whole freaking planet. But, but we're living in those times right now, like this is the end of the world and white folk, middle and upper class white folk have like zero skills to figure out how to survive. And I think that's terrifying to us. Like, how do we take care of each other? How do we keep each other safe? How do we, um, provide for each other, uh, food, uh, if we get sick, um, you know, if we're, if we're cold, if we're lonely, like, uh, the, the ways in which that isolation that you mentioned earlier will, um, function to, to completely uproot us from any of our, like, literal survival skills, um, and disconnected from each other so that we have forgotten what it means, like, to feed each other and care for each other, and to keep each other safe. And we've been talking a lot. Um, well, the three of us are also part of the team that's working on our organizing campaign around, around policing and, and the idea of what does community safety actually mean? And yeah. how do we, now I'm thinking back, you know, to what you said, Nicola, about other people being in the stable. Um, like, were they helping to keep each other safe? Like, what were they doing for each other that we don't even have, doesn't even occur to us to imagine? Yeah. Um, and so when I sort of think about it in that way, the, the overturning um, of whiteness, um, in that way, like, I get excited. Yeah. Like, oh, finally, we get to be human again. Let's go to the manger. and what it requires of us is is precisely that that realignment of attention that we talked about earlier um 
on the particularity of this of this family and this community um because let's let's not forget uh like the first thing that mary does is go go to her cousin that's yes right yes cousin um, yeah goes to elizabeth like how are we gonna how are we gonna deal with this now you know yeah. um and uh And to f- and and to figure out, like we get free in the shedding of that whiteness, and we do that by centering, um, you know, Mary and Jesus and and their brown poor, um, colonized lives, mm-hmm. uh, and what they envisioned um, to get free, and mm-hmm. so we do that. Um, we can do that now. Wow. Love it. Love it. I'm getting a little Christmas thrill over here. I right? Here also. <laughs> oh, buy a tree or something. <laughs> Probably won't take it that far, but. <laughs> but I love it. Beautiful. Um, is there anything else that we feel like a burning need to say? Because we've been talking now at least 45 minutes um, together. And uh, we all have said some amazing things. And I'm just, yeah, before we shift kind of into, into our call to action for folks, um, is there anything else... Um, as we like to say in our local surge meetings, anything else for the good of the revolution <laughs> before we finish up? Can I just tell you about the, the nativity scene we did on the church lawn last year? Yeah. Sure. Fun. Um, we had uh, Mary was a black Muslim woman. Mm-hmm. Mm. Joseph was in a wheelchair. Mm. Um baby Jesus in our nativities are, is always just a ball of light, you know, and <laughs> ball of light. But then we had the, the wise people, um, were Asada Shakur. Oh, my carrying God. a black lives matter sign. <laughs> uh, Leonard Peltier carrying oh. a water life sign. And, uh, Oh, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, a Brazilian transgender activist who was killed, um, Mm. while while doing activism in in brazil Mm. um and then we had shepherds who were panhandlers of the sort that are at every freeway exit um in oakland and you know those are the people who would be getting the good news Mm. basically Mm. um and we really thought we would get some some pushback. What we ended up getting were a lot of people who who were driving by taking pictures. Um, didn't really get any feedback on it, but it was it was a first exercise in trying to reimagine, you know, what this was really about and what it was really like. Mm. Beautiful. I love the wise people. <laughs> That's. Yeah, Asada, Leonard. We could make a whole like litany of the wise people. Of wise people. Of wise <laughs> yeah, people. that's that's brilliant. Um, yeah. Anything else from Will before we? No, I. I yeah. I know this is awesome. 
Awesome. Um, well, as we shift then into our call to action, um, as, as you've kind of heard us talking, you know, we've struggled a little bit about like, what do we do um, if we really want to embody a radical revolutionary um, Christmas um, and how much uh, more challenging that feels to us. And uh, as Will um, said to us as we were prepping, you know, there's something about Christmas that resists our resistance. Uh, so paying attention to that wisdom, um, paying attention to that, that resistance and, and what that is um, in us. Uh, and so our call to action um, is a meditative practice that is sparked by a story that uh, Nicola actually shared with us um, that Christmas carols um, during apartheid South Africa were actually banned, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, is just an amazing thing to think about that um, we assume from the articles that we have about it, like just the literal Christmas carols. They didn't, maybe they changed the lyrics, maybe they didn't, but um, to imagine the, the Christmas carols that we sing um, to have that kind of power that such an authoritarian, violent um, regime would ban you from singing them. Um, so certainly the Magnificat would be on that list. Um, uh, for sure, bringing the, the, the tyrants down from their thrones. Um, uh, and so, you know, how do we then engage our imaginations when we're singing um, these carols in church? Um, Advent carols, if you're that, that kind of stickler around, we don't sing any Christmas carols till it's actually Christmas. Then everybody complains because we didn't sing their, their favorites. But Advent carols, Christmas carols, um, to, to think about what we're actually singing and why what we're singing would be a threat to power. So as we're singing them, um, and again, that practice um, of imagine who we're singing to. So when, when, when we're all holding our little candles on Christmas Eve and we're, we're singing Silent Night, who, would it, who is it that we're singing to? And being honest with ourselves about who is it that pops up as we confessed earlier, mm -hmm. um, you know, that for, for the three of us, you know, the white holy family is what instantly pops up ingrained into our imagination. Um, so to be honest about that um, and, and, and just to name that and, and acknowledge it and then try to imagine differently, um, given, you know, kind of what we've talked about today, imagining Silent Night sung as a lullaby to... Um, you know, to a poor brown or black um, gender non-conforming colonized, you know, whoever um, uh, uh, child um, singing those lullabies to them. And what does that, how does that change anything for you, for us, as we, as we imagine that, like even just holding that, that child and singing along with Mary, um, the Magnificat into the baby's ear. Um, and so where does that lead us? Uh, and how can we get then closer to that Jesus? How can we position ourselves um, as white folk so that we'll know when Jesus has come? As we said, you know, the good news isn't announced to us. 
but to shepherds, to poor people, um, to workers uh, who immediately know um, what's happening. Um, so how, how do we then position ourselves so that we'll know when it happens again? Uh, and then from that, what's our commitment to helping make that happen? And if you can do this collectively, um, so that you're not just doing this by yourself inside your own head, like maybe you find a, you know, a, a little group of people that you're practicing this while you're singing, you know, with your candle, silent night or whatever it is, um, your favorite carol, think about it that way. Um, and talk to each other about it. Uh, resist that like uh, isolation and individualism of it as well to do that collectively. Would y'all have anything to add to that? There's something about doing all this in a way that doesn't romanticize poverty, mm -hmm. um, but actually begins to imagine the transformation of social structures. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really hope those who are listening will share their imaginings with us. Mm. Um, I'm eager to hear what comes out of that kind of meditation for folks. Yeah, I would love that. Um, any thoughts about that, Will? No, I don't think I have anything to add. <laughs> Maybe the three of us can, can do that practice and then like share with each other on our next podcast, like what, you know, yeah, we're doing that, like what came up for us in that practice. Um, maybe for epiphany. <laughs> That'd be <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> now we're, now we're making stuff up. So um, yeah, maybe for epiphany, that feels appropriate. Um, yeah. We bring our gifts back um, to the Christ child. Maybe our gifts are that commitment that grows out of it. I'll have to think about that. Y'all watch for an email from me about uh, the next, like the Epiphany special broadcast now. Because um, right now it's me by myself. That doesn't feel like any kind of fun anymore. It's <laughs> 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 me by myself. Um, anyway, we want to thank everyone for joining us today. Um, and yeah, please let us know uh, on sound, commenting on SoundCloud or on Facebook where we share it. Um, you know, how it goes to, to do this practice. Um, and we'll um, be back. Will, you're doing the next, uh, the 31st, right? Sunday the 31st. We'll be back with you then. That's right. Um, after this. Um, yeah, you can find out more about us, uh, about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org slash podcast. And our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Um, search on the word is resistance also on iTunes as well you can inter interact with us there um, again if you uh, want to share some feedback about your practice or if you have questions or what have you transcripts are available at our website um, which include references and credits and copyright information and a big thanks to our sound editor this week Paul Stewart Christmas blessings to all of you uh, and all the uh, blessings and all that you do to resist injustice and then all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, we are Anne, Nicola, and Will. Thanks so much.
Builders must be strong.